So uh, I was talking a little bit there uh, with Brother Brian there uh, in the break, and I was sharing a, uh, something that uh, Brother Oakman said a lot about related to this in the church, that uh, man began relying too much on, on the thinking of man instead of the, the things of God. We, we substituted intellectualism for intelligence, which comes from God, the spirit. And uh, intellectualism always is the counterfeit to that. And uh, I remember Brother Oakman making several references. Are we going to turn over this great work to the high priest of science instead of the leadings of the spirit, right? And uh, I think it's important. That's where the foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of men. God knew what he was doing as he set up his work, his glory, the great marvelous work. And, uh, and yielding to that, and, and man didn't yield to that and, and, and create issues. Um, I want to take you real quick to uh, Romans, the eighth chapter. Notice I'm, Paul talks a lot about this because he's writing letters to the saints in different parts of Christianity, right? And he's writing to them about the importance of the attributes of sainthood. He's writing to them about this yielding. He's writing to them about um, being careful of having the spirit of the Lord and not of the flesh. And so in Romans, the eighth chapter, verses five through nine, Paul's counseling the Romans here. In verse five, he says, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, and they that are after the spirit, capital S, the spirit, are the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity against God for it is not subject to the law of God neither indeed can be so then they that are after the flesh cannot please God but ye are not after the flesh but after the spirit if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you now if any man have not the spirit of Christ he is none of his that's quite a statement so we're called to walk after the spirit of God and not after the flesh of man. And if the spirit of Christ be not in you, he is none of his. That's, that's quite a statement. Okay? The mark that makes us Christ is having the spirit of Christ and not the spirit of the flesh. There are a lot of people who can do a lot of good things. But the mark of a Latter-day Saint is one who yields and carries that spirit of Christ with them. You can probably think of different individuals you've come across that you could tell just by meeting them that they carried the spirit of Christ. It just oozed from them. Um, I know many of you, I'm going to use, I'm not to put them on a pedestal because you know where that spirit comes from, but to give you an example, most of you know Bill Davies. When you talk to Bill Davies, you couldn't help but feel the spirit of Christ. And what did he always do? He made himself of no rapport. He always was humble, filled with the love of Christ. And he'd be the first to tell you he wasn't a perfect man. But he humbled himself before the Lord. And that's the mark of a spiritually mature person who bears the infirmities of others and who's willing to yield to the enticings of the good spirit. How do you know if you have a spirit? I've had people ask me that. How do you know if the spirit of the Lord is there? I said, it's not as hard as you think. 
How do, I, how do I know if the Spirit's with me? It's not as hard as you think. Paul tells the Galatians how to determine this, right? There are fruits that come from the Spirit of Christ, and there are fruits that come from the flesh, and they're easily discernible. And so I want to take you there just so you know whether you're following the flesh or whether you're following the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit. Turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, yeah. And I'm going to give you the works of the flesh first. Now, I'm not going to harp on these too much because you see them every day. So I don't think we need to dwell on the works of the flesh, but just so we identify them. And then we're going to focus a little bit more on the, the fruits of the Spirit. The fruits of the flesh in verse 19 of chapter 5, it begins that the works of the flesh are manifest. So when you see the effects, the manifestations of them, here's what they are. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry. And that doesn't mean just worshiping a stone or wood idol. Idolatry is putting other things in front of the Lord. Witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, Envyings, none of you envy, I hope. Okay. Murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of which I tell you before, as I've told you in times past, they which do these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You can't be a Latter-day Saint and inherit the kingdom of God if those are the manifestations of the spirit of the flesh that you're following. Now, they can be repented of, but you cannot continue to do those, right? You know, we look at a lot of these and say, ah, well, I haven't killed anybody, and I'm, I haven't, you know, committed adultery. I, but do you have strife in your life? Do you envy things that other people have? Even if it's just a little bit? Oh, I wish I had that boat. Oh, man, that's a nice place. I wish I could. Do you ever do that? That's not the fruits of the Spirit. That's the fruits of the flesh, right, that are being manifested there. But then he goes on, and I love this because Paul leaves them with the good stuff, right? That's what Paul does. Tells them, here's what you need to be aware of, but here's, here's the goal. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is, and Paul's a great teacher of the Jewish tradition, so he lists them in order of importance. The first is always the most important in Jewish tradition, right? A good teacher will always list things in order of importance, so he lists these in order of importance. The fruits of the Spirit. The first fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy. Do you have joy in your life? Or do you have a lot of anxiety? Peace. Long-suffering. Gentleness. Goodness. Faith. Meekness. There's your yielding, being meek. Temperance, which we talked about this morning. Against such there is no law, that they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. That means they've done, taken up their cross daily and followed him. They've yielded to the spirit of the Lord. And if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. In other words, if you're going to live in that kind of spirit, then you walk in it. You, your actions will follow suit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another or envying one another. 
So it's pretty easy at any given time in your life, if you want to evaluate it from the scripture here, whether or not you're walking in that moment, at least, in the spirit of Christ, the good spirit, or whether you're walking in the spirit of the flesh, the lust of the flesh, right? Because you can see that, right? There are moments in my life when I'll, and I'm going to be honest with you, I'm going to test, uh, tell her myself here, I'll go and have a great service at church and the spirit's been there and I'm feeling really good and I just I know I'm walking this way I have that joy and that peace and that sense of right I know what I need to be doing and then I'll get ready for school the next day and something will happen and all of a sudden I'm filled with strife I got anxiety and all of a sudden I went from the spirit and, I, and what should I do go to the Lord and pray and ask and yield right but I slogged through it, right? Tried to do that on my own. And a lot of times I have more strife. And all of a sudden, I'm following not the fruits of the Spirit anymore and having that Spirit. I'm having the, the flesh, right? Did you have something, brother? Okay. okay. So those, those are examples. You can tell at any given moment which, which one you're following, right? It's not as hard as you think. Everybody says, well, how, how do you tell? You can, you, you can usually tell. Sister Sharp. It's sort of, I guess I'm going back to what we were talking about yeah. with Isaac and all that before. Mm -hmm. But uh, whenever the Lord told him, I struggle with this yeah. a lot. Yeah. And you know what's coming, yeah. probably. <laughs> but for him to tell him to go and kill his son mm -hmm. and talking about how do you discern the spirit. And for us, relating it to us in this day and time, if a spirit of some sort came to me and told me to take my child and go and sacrifice it, then I would be like, hmm, the scriptures say thou shalt not kill and all this stuff. And back then, I don't know what, how things were back then that he just had the faith that, okay, God's just tempting me. I don't, or testing me or whatever. I don't know. But I really struggle with that because I would not listen to that spirit if it told me to do something like that based on what the scriptures, I mean, you yeah. always have to look back to the scriptures and yeah. is what the spirit telling me, does it yeah. add up? And, and also to see how when the Lord told him to take his child up and sacrifice him on the mount, beyond that, like for years, there were people who took that and ran with it and they did mm -hmm. put their children through the fire mm -hmm. and... I don't, does it stem from that? I don't know. I just, I just really yeah. struggle yeah. with all that. It doesn't stem from that, but getting back to the very thing at the very end that uh, he says, because you have hearkened unto my voice. The thing about Abraham is he had learned to hear the voice of the Lord. He knew the Lord's voice. And this is where we struggle. I think we all do from time to time. Whether or not we're, we're listening to our own thoughts, our own emotions, other spirits, or whether it's the voice of the Lord. And the more we're around and hear the voice of the Lord, the more we're going to recognize that voice. That's why I was saying that Abraham, Abram of chapter 12 is completely different than Abraham of chapter 22 in terms of he had learned to hear the voice of the Lord. He learned the importance of obedience to that voice. And the ultimate test was placed there. And not only was it placed there for, you know, the blessing that was going to happen if he fulfilled that, but also was an example, of course, of the giving of, God's only son, right? I mean, it was, was symbolized there that I'm giving my only son. And so, yeah, by, again, by man's standards, by our own thinking, we would not do that, right? And it's only by knowing for sure of a certainty 
that voice that Abraham did that. And I'm convinced by the couple of statements he made there that he, he had to have that assurance, right? Faith is the assurance of things so forth, that even if it required the, the death of his son, that, that it would happen, that God had the power to raise him up. Because when he says, we'll come down, and I, I, just Abraham had that kind of, and that there was, and who knows what else the Lord told him, but we just know that that, that state was made to him to take thy son and go up and, and, and do this. But he knew that voice and he responded to that. So this is, again, uh, something that's inexplicable by man's thinking and standards. And, and you're right, you know, you wouldn't do that. And hopefully you wouldn't do that unless you absolutely knew that the Lord's voice and it was the Lord's voice. But that is something that we've got, we struggle with, I think. And he did too. And he got to that point in chapter 22 where that could happen. Barb? I think he asked Abraham to sacrifice his son because Abraham knew how important and how much they had wanted a son. Isaac was critically important to yeah. Abraham. He would not ask us to do something with something unimportant, or I'm not saying that yeah. children aren't unimportant, I have yeah. my own, but he would ask us to sacrifice something that was that critically important to us. It wouldn't be a son or whatever, probably, but it would be something that mattered to us so much that if we gave it up, we would do it because we knew God wanted that. Yeah. I, and, and he did have the testimony that Isaac was given by the Lord. And if the Lord required him back, he was willing to do that. But I think knowing that voice was the key, knowing the voice of the Lord. Because it says, because you hearken unto my voice, you'll be blessed with this blessing. I also want to point something out that we are in a world that... Um, keeps constantly telling us we need to assert our rights. Uh, and I've even, I even hear it a little bit in the church to a lesser degree of you need to claim the promises of God. And, and there's truth to that. Um, but it's almost done in a haughty sort of way. Okay, It's the spirit in which sometimes it's done that concerns me more than anything. And um, we have to be careful. Uh, our strength is not what we have or what we can demonstrate of ourselves. Uh, but bearing the infirmities of those who are in need, yielding to him, and not taking that or grasping at things, but rather letting the Lord. It's the Lord's to give, not ours to take. I want you to understand that. The Lord gives. We don't take. And I'm going to give you a scripture referencing this about Christ himself. Okay? So let's look at Philippians chapter 2. Paul's writing to the church at Philippi. Christ is freely going to yield here what was the supreme example of, of yielding to the Father. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. So have the same thought process. Let this mind be in you that was in Christ who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, 
even to the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in the earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is a prime example in this scripture of Jesus who, let's be honest, Jesus was entitled to equality with God, right? Because he was in the bosom with the Father. Was he entitled to that, being equal, without it not robbery to be equal with him? No, because he was with the Father. They were one in, in thought and in spirit. However, even though he, was, he had this equality with God and thought it not robbery to be equal with him, he did not take and grasp at things that weren't his because they were his father's. Okay? Now, that's important for us. Just because the Lord's given you certain gifts and talents doesn't mean that you take and grasp at things that aren't, aren't, aren't yours to have. It's God's to give, not ours to take. The best example of not doing this is Lucifer, also known as Satan, who we know was not entitled to equality with God because he was a created being, just like you and I were, not entitled to that equality with God. And he did grasp at the glory of God and fell because of it. And if you want that reference, it's Genesis 3, 2 and 3 in the inspired version. The inspired version does much better on this than, than the King James, obviously, on this. Chapter 3, verse 2 and 3 of Genesis, he, <clears throat> speaking of Lucifer, came before me saying, Behold, send me, I will be thy son. Now, he was not entitled to be called the son of God. He was not equal to God. He was not in the bosom with the Father. He was not begotten. He was created. So he did not have that entitlement. Let me be thy son, I will be thy son, and I will redeem all mankind, that one soul should not be lost, and surely I will do it, wherefore give me thine honor. That's what he was grasping at. Taking that which was not his. But behold, my beloved son, which was my beloved and chosen from the beginning, said unto me, Father, thy will be done, and the glory be thine forever. So Christ actually had the entitlement, as was mentioned both in Philippians and here in Genesis, to be equal with the Father because he was with the Father from the beginning as the begotten of the Father, and yet he did not take or grasp that, right? He being in the form of God, right? But he made himself of no reputation. Guess what the saints are to be? Of no reputation. Took upon him that as a form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. I remember a testimony in Edmund C. Briggs's book in the early history of the reorganization and he talked about the elders from the reorganized church and the elders from the uh, Utah Mormon church. And he says we could always tell the difference between them when they would come and visit our house. And he says I knew who they were before they ever got to the door because he says the, the, the ministers of the reorganized church he said would always come and they were very humble in their approach and in their mannerisms. They were well kept, but very humble and very uh, calm in their mannerisms, unlike that which I saw from the other church, he said. And he recognized that right off the bat. They made themselves of no great reputation of themselves, but humbled themselves as Christ did. Do you and
and I try to take things that are not ours from God? Do we try to grasp at things that maybe are not ours to have? Christ didn't, even though he was entitled to it, because of the nature of what it means to be a servant and of yielding and of temperance. And because of that, what ultimately did Christ get? He tells us here, right? Every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of the Father. Ultimately, he was exalted above all other names and angels and principalities because of his submissiveness and yielding to the Father. Satan was just the opposite. Because he desired it, he was carnal in nature, sensual, and wanted it and desired it. Because of that, he grasped for it and he fell. Eric. I, I think... Uh... A good example is um, administration mm -hmm. for the Latter-day Saints. You know, the, the promises are there, mm -hmm. and we could think that we're entitled, but anyone who does administration knows very well that that's not the case. Uh, you know, there's a story about Heman Smith, mm -hmm. and Heman Smith and his daughter, she died uh, after childbirth, and she was ill, and he was praying, for her, and uh, he was praying that she would live, and he finally said, well, not my will, Lord, but thy will be done, and she passed away, and it said that his ministry changed, that he, uh, he, this changed him to where he could relate more to other people, and so the Lord had a purpose there, but uh, we, we do have to give in to his purpose. We can't be assuming that yeah. this person's going to be healed just because we ask. Well, and you've got section 50 of the Doctrine and Covenants where the elders are specifically told this. They're told to not prophesy over the sick, but to put them into my hands, and I will do with them by the power of my spirit. And unless you're given a specific manifestation of something you should pray for, then put them into my hands, and I will take care of them. And so that's good counsel, right? Because you got to yield to the, the Spirit. We don't have any power of ourselves, right? All the promises of God in the church are through his son, Jesus Christ, every single one of them. There's no promise that can be separated out from Christ. The promise of Zion is all hinging on he dwelling in the midst of his people. It's on Christ. The healing power, he comes with healing in his wings, right? It's all in Christ. We pray in the name of Christ, right? There's There's... No promises that you can think of that God has given to his people, covenant or otherwise, that don't stem in Christ. And so we can't separate the promise from whom the promise is given through to us, right? Sister Trump. To go along with that, in my blessing, I was told that I had many gifts, but if I didn't use them for the Lord, that they would grow, they would fade and grow insignificant in my life. So. Yeah, yeah. It was say, if you, I give you something, you don't use it, you, you lose it type thing, and that's true. They have to be cultivated. I think all of our gifts have to be cultivated uh, under that direction of that spirit. That's true. Um, I want to give a couple more examples here. Uh, we talked already about Abraham and Isaac uh, and Sarah. I want to give you a couple other examples of yielding that are important and a demonstration of yielding in ways that, again, go counter to nature but are so profound. And I want to take you to the first book of Kings, 1 Kings chapter 3. 
I'm not going to read the whole chapter to you. You can read it on your own. But this particular chapter deals with Solomon. Solomon, you know, was given, he was asked anything that he wanted, and the Lord was pleased. He didn't ask for things in the world. He asked for wisdom, right? And the Lord granted unto him not only wisdom, but because he asked for wisdom, the Lord also granted unto him other things as a result of that. And this is an example in 1 Kings 3 of the utilization of not only the wisdom, but more importantly, the yielding and how yielding stems out of love. You, you probably know this is the case of the, uh, the two women who both were fighting over the one baby. You, okay, I see a lot of heads nodding, so I think you're familiar maybe with the general story here. And uh, the, one, the one mother, they both had children. The one mother, uh, the baby had died. Uh, and so in the night she'd stolen the other baby. And they both claimed that, that this child was theirs. And it got brought before Solomon. And Solomon uh, sat there and listened to both of them claim that that child was their child. And the interesting thing about this particular, the way Solomon settled this, using the wisdom of the Lord, was... God knows that there is uh, a love that goes against human nature. And so what Solomon did in wisdom of the Lord was he had that child laid before them and said, fine, you both are claiming this child, bring me a sword, and I will split the child in half and each of you can have half of the child. And they brought him the sword and, and he raised it up and at that moment, one of the women came up and said, no, no, give it to the other woman. Just give the child to the other woman. And Solomon goes, that one's the mother. Now, how did he know? Because love is willing to yield for the benefit of others. The real test of love and the spirit of Christ, rather than see the baby die, you would let the other woman have your child. That's love. And there's probably mothers in here that can empathize with that particular story, and maybe fathers too. But mothers in particular, you let the other woman have it. This, we are put to this test every day in our lives. Are we prepared to let others have all that we have worked for, all that we claim to be ours, the things we have achieved, the things that we have prayed through, are we willing to give that up for the benefit and love of another? There's a lesson to be learned here. More than just beyond this baby and the mother. It depends, I guess, whether you love the baby more than you love yourself. Or do you love yourself more than the baby? In the case here, the mother loved the child greater than herself and was willing to give the child up to another that the child might live. The one who was not the mother was willing to be silent and let it take place. Did not love the baby more than herself. You see the essence here of how that affects us in the church? What are we willing to let go that we think is ours? Our ministry, our, our talents, our gifts, and willing to give that up for the sake and the benefit of others. Are you willing to turn that over which you claim to be yours? And I, I say claim because it's really not God gave you those things, right? It's really not yours anyway. That's a misnomer. 
your talents, your ministry, your gifts, some of you are gifted at singing, some of you are gifted at many things, I'm sure. Are you willing to give those achievements up and those things that you've fought through for the love and benefit of another? If, if you're a Latter-day Saint, you will be because it's a mark of a high spiritual nature to do that. Now, is that counterintuitive to man? Absolutely. Was it counterintuitive to this other woman here to let that baby just go ahead and be cut in half? So Solomon was able to determine because of the love of willing to give up, right, that that child might live. I just think that's an awesome example of yielding and of, of that kind of love. Um, let's look at John, the 12th chapter, real quick. Another example here. John chapter 12, verses 24 and 25. And I think I've heard Brother Jared speak on this before and others, so I won't belabor this point, but verily, 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 all right, very important, verily, verily, doubly important, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. So by giving, right, here's one of those uh, opposite things of human nature, right? So by giving up your life, you'll actually save it, and by trying to save your life, you're going to lose it. This is true if you're a farmer, right? You know that a kernel of corn or a kernel of wheat, if it falls to the ground, it has to die. It no longer can be the kernel it was. It has to die, it has to deteriorate, right? But out of that is gonna come forth what? A stock, and it's gonna produce much, much more. If we die to our will and yield to the Lord, it's gonna produce so much fruit. Yes will die to ourselves, but that's okay because Christ, Paul says, Christ lives in me and it's going to produce greater life. It's going to produce much fruit. Now, this particular scripture I know is talking specifically about Jesus Christ because he's talking to his disciples there. He answered them and he's talking about his death, that through the death of him that it will produce this great fruit, but that is a true statement of every one of our lives. If we are willing to die in our will, that take up your cross and crucify the flesh every day, then it's going to produce a lot of life and fruit. Willing to give up of yourself for the sake of others. I wrote down this statement, give up the urgent so that you can do the important. Do you ever feel like you're running from one crisis to the next? Give up the urgent so that you can do the important. The important things sometimes is to be still and to pray and to do the things of the Lord. But we're running from one urgent thing of the world to the next, right? Let me give you one other example here. Uh, I want to turn back to Genesis, the 13th chapter. I'm talking about Abraham again. This is before he uh, was quite what he was in Genesis 22. 
This is Abram before his name was changed. Abram is commanded by the Lord here in chapter 13 to go and leave his family. He was to leave them all and he was go to the land that the Lord had promised him, right? He was to leave it. That was the instruction. So in chapter 13, uh, verse 4, we begin with this. But there's one problem. Abram didn't fully obey the Lord here. He only partially obeyed. Okay? He didn't yield completely. So he did leave and pack up his stuff to go to this promised land that the Lord was going to take him to. But he was told to leave his entire family. But he didn't. Who did he take along? His father and his nephew Lot. And they came with him. Now that wasn't what the Lord told him. He said, leave your family and I will take you to the land of promise. So he wasn't completely obedient and that's going to cause some problems. Okay? So, uh, he, by the way, he only gets about halfway with his father, right? He, he never gets to the promised land with his father until after his father dies um, along the way. Okay? Verse 13, chapter, uh, chapter 13, verse 4, we'll begin. And this is where he's got Lot still with him. And he's only about halfway across to the promised land here. The land was not able to bear them because Lot had his flocks, his herds, as well as Abraham. That they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle, that they could not dwell together. Now, the reason why there's strife is because Abram wasn't completely obedient. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled in the land also. And Abram said unto Lot, Lot... Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, then I will go to the right. If thou, I'm sorry, if thou will go to the left hand, I will go to the right, and if thou will go to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plains of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like as the garden of the Lord and like the land of Egypt. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent towards Sodom. But the men of Sodom becoming sinners and exceedingly wicked before the Lord, and the Lord was angry with them. And the Lord said unto Abram, After that lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art, northward and southward, and eastward and westward, and remember the covenant which I make with thee, for it shall be my everlasting covenant, and thou shalt remember the days of Enoch thy father. For all the land which thou seest will I give thee, and go to thy seed forever, and I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man hath numbered the dust of the earth, thy seed shall also be numbered. Now, what's important about this, this is, right, prophesying of that which later will happen in chapter 22 because of his obedience. But notice here, because he wasn't obedient, the Lord couldn't give him the promise because he took his father and Lot with him. His father died halfway on the way in Sharon, and Lot had to be separated first before the Lord could fulfill the promises because he hadn't completely been obedient to the original word. He hadn't yielded completely. 
How many times do we miss out on the greater blessing or it's put off because we're not completely obedient to everything, every word that proceedeth forth from the mouth of God? Here's a really good example. God could not give Abraham his inheritance until Lot was no longer with him. And the yielding spirit, not the grasping spirit, had to be given for him to be able to gain that inheritance. You know, of course, what happened to Lot. Lot got his choice. Lot took the greater blessings of lands at that time, but that was right before Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed, right? So ultimately, the Lord blessed Abram, but he had to delay it and wait because of the situation that was there. Just another example of yielding completely to the, the voice of the Lord, right? I see our children are here today. Young people, young people, all right? I um, want to kind of wrap up here. So if you get nothing else out of today, yield, which is patience. One of the definitions of patience is yielding. Patience is a good thing. It's, we struggle with it. It's a fruit of the spirit, having patience, right? And temperance means to have self-control and not be excessive. If saints will add this to their faith, as mentioned in section 4, then we will be able to embark on this great and marvelous work, this service of bringing forth the kingdom. But we have to have those qualities. And it's not easy because it's against our natural state. Okay? I'd like to end with a word of prayer today, and then we'll, I know we'll let our young people uh, get ready to practice here. Um, would you, brother, uh, offer a closing prayer for us today? Yeah. and the time together to be able to worship and to study and we appreciate so much the insight of uh, your spirit as it has moved with our instructor and as it moves amongst the students as well and bless us Lord that we might take from these things uh, learning in our life that we might become better people and draw closer unto thee that you might use the gifts and talents that you have uh, given unto us that the kingdom might uh, come into being and we might be able to rejoice in being able to participate in seeing that great event. Thank you, Lord, for this day, and continue with us in our reunion, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Justin, I know you got probably a couple of... Couple of